mother said to the servants, do, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples and stayed there for a few days. Now, heads up, what do we know about God's word? It shall not return to him empty, but it shall accomplish that which he purposes and shall succeed in the thing for which he sent it. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, would you bless your word in the preaching of it this morning? Would you fill our hearts with a sense of wonder and amazement and give us the sense of celebration in our Savior Jesus Christ. May uh, your word be effective in doing that which it accomplishes um, and, and, and accomplishing your purpose. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you guys have the... Oh, you may be seated. Do you guys have the recording going? Okay. Okay. Just reminding them. Okay. Okay. Um, our God has created us to be a people who love to celebrate. We celebrate all sorts of different things. We celebrate accomplishments like graduation um, or a job promotion. We celebrate uh, milestones in our lives like birthdays and anniversaries. And we celebrate people's lives um, when we celebrate births and even at funerals. We celebrate the lives of people that we love. Uh, but one of the prime celebrations that God has given to us is in celebrating weddings, the new beginnings of weddings. Um, on Friday, I actually had the privilege of officiating a wedding, uh, and weddings are always joyous uh, occasions, or ordinarily joyous occasions, full of excitement and wonder and anticipation and hope. And as you can imagine, even in the midst of uh, coronavirus restrictions, even in uh, having to take months of planning and replan at the last minute, uh, even after having to restrict uh, guest lists down to immediate family and uh, immediate family members, um, the wedding was still a time of joy and excitement for family and friends and particularly for the bride and the groom. But I think for those of us who understand these things, we know that there's a big difference between the wedding and marriage, isn't there? A wedding uh, is full of excitement and hope and joy and anticipation, and yet a marriage connotes hard work, a lifetime together, uh, sometimes frustrating, sometimes often painful. Um, where, whereas with a wedding, you're, you're full of excitement, looking for all, anticipating all that will be. When you think of marriage, sometimes you fall into patterns of behavior where things become mundane or rote. 
uh, or sometimes even very painful. Of course, friends, it's not the way it should be. It's certainly not the way that it has to be. Uh, And it's definitely not the way that God designed it. Uh, But as a result of our sin, uh, it wreaks havoc on what ought to be the most intimate human relationship that God has given to us. Well, in Scripture, God over and over refers to the relationship between Christ and his church as the relationship between a bridegroom and his bride. And so the question for us is, as we live in this relationship with our Savior, Jesus Christ, do we have more of the mentality of a wedding mentality, of the anticipation and hope of living forever and ever with our Lord Jesus Christ? Or have we become content just being complacent in our relationship with Christ without that wonder and joy and excitement? Well, throughout Scripture, there's lots of different weddings uh, because of how God reveals his love to us. And this passage in John chapter 2 is one such passage. This is the first sign that we see from the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's set at a wedding. And when we look at this passage, we have to be reminded that we were created to celebrate. And we were created to celebrate in Christ, and we were to ce- created to celebrate Christ himself. And so it, this passage reminds us that where the Lord Jesus is, there is celebration, because the Lord Jesus is the Lord of celebration. So uh, turn with me to the passage, and we'll work through what it says first. It, says, it starts off, and it says, On the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now, we don't know a whole lot about Cana. Uh, Cana is only in the book of John, but we do see it a few different times. We see it first here in chapter 2, that Jesus does another sign in chapter 4, and we know that the, the uh, disciple Nathaniel was from the town of Cana. Cana was just a bit north of Jesus' hometown of Nazareth, which is west of the Sea of Galilee, but uh, the, the wedding is taking place in Cana. And it says that uh, the mother of Jesus was there. So it, this doesn't, we, we have no idea who this wedding was for. We don't know why Jesus' mother was invited, but she was invited, perhaps uh, somebody who lived, that they knew uh, from close to their, their home. Um, and it says that Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples, now, John, John's timelines are slightly different from the Matthew, Mark, and Luke accounts, so we don't see a whole lot of the uh, calling of the disciples, but Jesus at this point has his disciples, and in addition to his mother, both Jesus and his disciples are there. And at, as they're celebrating in this wedding, it says, When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, Jesus, they have no more wine. Now, uh, wedding celebrations would have been week-long celebrations. So, and wine was a staple of the celebration. It was expected to be provided. It was part of the celebration. And somehow Jesus' mother knew um, that they ran out of wine. So the wine would have been stored by the servants. It's possible that Jesus' mother, sitting with the other women, were sitting near where the servants were uh, working the kitchen, and she somehow heard that there was no wine, but she hears that there's no wine. And she knows that this is a problem, because in this particular culture, running out of wine is a source of shame. 
it is a source of dishonor. You've got to have wine when you're celebrating a wedding. And so Jesus' mother goes and finds Jesus, and she says, they have no more wine. Now, up to this point, Jesus hadn't performed any signs that we know of. Uh, so we don't really know why Jesus' mother was coming to, to him for this. Uh, she may have just recognized that he was a resourceful young man. Uh, she, she may have known that he had ways of solving problems that could have helped out. She may have thought that his particular character was such that he would be able to smooth things over, let the master of the feast know, the bridegroom know, uh, you know, figure out some solution to the matter. But she comes to Jesus and she says they have no more wine. And Jesus' response looks a little rough to us. He says, and Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, we shouldn't see this as a uh, Jesus being disrespectful. Jesus like uh, was called to honor his mother and his father just as you and I are, and he never sinned. So that's not what's going on here. He's not talking back to her with a harsh tone. It's, um, it's, it's just a dip, bit difficult to translate this particular phrase. It's probably more along the lines of uh, what he's saying is, Mom, what is that to you and you and to me? We're we're just guests. This isn't this isn't my problem to solve. Um, my time has not yet come. I don't know what you're expecting from me, but uh, why why are you coming to me about this? Um, uh, but his mother, undeterred by his response, turns to the servants and says, "Do whatever he tells you." Now, she must have recognized that there's something about her son that uh, can solve this problem. Now, does she know what's about to happen? Probably not. But she turns to the servants and she says, do whatever he tells you. Now, John tells us that there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. So we're talking big stone containers that can hold 20 or 30 gallons of water. And it's interesting, we'll talk about this in just a little bit, it's interesting that John calls out that there are six, uh, six stone jars. We'll talk about in just a, a bit why that may be. But there's six stone jars, and they're there for the Jewish rites of purification, so that they would go through the purification process uh, as part of their feasting. And Jesus sees those, those jars, and he says to the servants, fill the jars with water. So obviously the jars were not filled. Somehow he knew that they were not filled, but he says, fill the, the jars up with water. And they fill them up to the brim. They fill them up to the very top. So they're obedient to his every command, just like Jesus' mother had said. And then he says to them, draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they draw out this water, which would have been for purification. So if you're thinking purification, hand washing, so this is dirty water. Now they've now drawn out. And you take a sit to the master of the feast. And, and it says, when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine. And he didn't know where it came from. The master of the feast called the bridegroom. So he tastes it and he realizes that this is wine. This is not filthy water from a purification. This is wine. And he says to the bridegroom, this remarkable thing. Everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. So... Uh, it says drunk freely. We could, we could take that in a number of different ways. What he's kind of saying is, my friend, 
everyone starts off with the good stuff. But when people start to celebrate well and they're now feeling it, you don't need to bring out the best stuff. You don't need to bring out the best wine. There's no one to impress at that point. They're already having a good time. They're already a little tipsy. They're having a good time. Save the best stuff for later. But he says, uh, everyone's brought out the, the good stuff at the beginning, and when they drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you've kept the good wine until now. Uh, and that seems to be the punchline. He says that this is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. And so this sign happens, and his disciples see it, they believe it, it manifests his glory, and they then be, believe in him. And so what we ought to see in this is that Jesus is, he is yeah, cultivating a spirit of celebration. He's preserving the celebration, but he's cultivating it. And, and we can see this in a number of different ways. So the first of all is that he turns the law's demands into a means of celebration. Um, Jesus takes these stone, ta- these stone containers and he turns what is in these containers into a source of celebration. So John says that these are s- six stone containers full of water that was for purification. And the, and the Jews needed to purify, they needed to follow their ritualistic purification in order to uh, do the, the things that they did. And if you remember elsewhere in the, in the Gospels, um, the, the, the disciples of the Pharisees come and they say, well, why, why, do, your, why do your disciples not uh, wash their hands? This is, this is an important deal. You've got to be purified in this process. And, and Jesus says, is, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not necessary. It's not, that's missing the point. And Jesus sees these stone jars, and he turns what is used as a source of purification as a part of God's law into a source of celebration. He, uh, commentators believe that what, what John is hinting at uh, with the way that John describes these things is he's getting to the, the incompleteness of uh, the law to satisfy or, or the Jewish rites to satisfy what God was really looking for. Because in the, in the book of John, the number seven is, is very important. Seven is a number of completion, but John calls out that there are not seven, but there are six. So there's an incomplete number of stone jars, and these jars are not full. They needed to be filled up, and yet Jesus commands, fill them up, fill them up to the top. And then what was a, a, a water for purification becomes a wine of celebration of the finest caliber, the finest of wine. He turns what was intended to be for the law's demands and turns it into a means of celebration. Um, these, these Jewish rites of cleansing was never sufficient. And so it's important for us to realize that obedience to God's law is something that we are called to, but obedience to God's law, Paul makes clear in Galatians, the law was never intended to bring, give us reconciliation with God. The law only condemns. The law tells us this is the standard. And the best that we can do is obey that standard. We can't ever do anything beyond that standard because that's God's standard. In fact, when we've done everything God commands us, Jesus taught us to say, 
we've only done our duty. We're unworthy servants. We're not, there's nothing more to it. And yet what Jesus does here is he takes the law and he says, let's turn it into a celebration. In Jesus Christ, the law's demands have been fulfilled and he's given us the right to celebrate in those laws being fulfilled in his body. Um, his righteous acts, his, uh, and during his life, his payment on the cross for our inability to ma- maintain the law's demands and being raised to new life to break the power of the law to condemn us um, are reasons for celebration. And so Jesus turns the law's demands into a means of celebration. Uh, the second thing is <clears throat> he turns the shame of sin into honor and glory. So in this passage, Jesus' mother realizes it is shame and dishonor for them to run out of wine. It doesn't say why they ran out of wine. They could have just had some very thirsty guests, and they just didn't fail to plan. But regardless, to not have enough wine was a source of shame and dishonor. But Jesus, in his act, he overcomes that shame. He covers over that shame. He brings honor to the bridegroom. Notice that it's the master of the feast who turns to the bridegroom, not to the Lord Jesus. And he says, he says you've, you've brought out the best stuff. You've, you've, you've done the best party there is because you've given the, the best, even though this was Jesus' work. And so for us, we ought to realize that in, in Jesus' sacrifice, in paying for our sin, he has covered over our shame and he has given, he's crowned us with glory and honor. It's glory and honor that is due him, but he has crowned us with glory and honor. That is one of the most remarkable things about the gospel of grace. In Revelation, the elders are crowned with glory and honor, and they take their crowns and they lay them at the foot of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he covers over our shame and our dishonor uh, in the midst of our sin. The third thing that he does for celebration is he turns stingy selfishness into lavish, generous celebration. And think about how this ought to condition what we think about our God. Um, the, The master of the feast says to the bridegroom, he says, you know, wh- why have you done this? Why have you brought out the best stuff at the end? Everybody else brings out the good stuff to begin, and then they bring out the cheap stuff later. But you've brought out the best stuff. I think that's intentional. I think it's intentional to re- reflect the lavish love and the generous love of our gracious God. Um, the, the world's pattern is to put a smoke screen on things that starts off nice and decays over time. But the pattern that the Lord Jesus gives us is one that starts good and gets better over time. So it's a wedding celebration that starts with hope and celebration and anticipation and the next day is better than the first day and the third day is better than the second day and so on and so forth throughout all eternity. It is lavish and abundant joy um, beyond all expectation where God is not stingy where he says, you don't need that much. You know, I'll just give you just enough grace. He lavishes grace upon grace. And it's not a legalistic uh, 
love either, but it's a lavish love. I mean, consider, it's a little perplexing to me that at the time when people would start to get a little tipsy is when Jesus brings out the good stuff. Because I think our tendency would be to say, all right, guys, I know you all have to drive home, and so let's not not go overboard. We need to be careful about this. But in Jesus' presence, he says, no, this is a celebration of all celebrations. We're bringing out the good stuff. We're going to celebrate the presence of this bride and this groom in the presence of the Lord Jesus. And, you know, I don't... This this wine, you know, why is this the best wine? Could this be wine that Jesus, just like with all of his other miracles where he rolls back the effects of the fall, this is wine that isn't affected by the fall where Jesus puts his touch and removes all the effects and it's it's the most delightful wine. Uh, we don't know, but this is the best wine. And so and the, the last way that he brings that celebration is just from beginning to end, even of his ministry, uh, he is he is celebrating. He is giving us causes to celebrate. If you remember, just at the very beginning of the Bible, uh, in uh, Genesis chapter 2, we have a, a wedding of sorts where Adam, the first man, is celebrating and saying, ah, at last, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And now here at the beginning of the ministry of the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, he begins his ministry with another wedding. And he is celebrating this, this wedding. And of course, if we read all the way to the end, to Revelation, uh, we see a, a wedding celebration ushering in the beginning of the, the rest of eternity, where it says this in Revelation chapter 19. It says, Then I heard what seemed to be the mo- voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. And so at the beginning of Jesus's ministry and at the end of his ministry, at the end, ushering in the all blessed eternity, there's a marriage. There's a celebration. The Lord delights to celebrate with us. And at the end of his earthly ministry, what we'll celebrate in just a moment, he ends with a celebration of his body and blood. He gives us this foretaste of that great wedding feast that we will have when he comes again. Christ's love for his church is described as an intimate relationship of a bridegroom with his bride. That's that's how the Lord Jesus Christ views you, with that level of intimacy and wonder that a bridegroom would have for his bride. And um, this this is a relationship that doesn't fade or spoil over time. This is one that gets sweeter and sweeter and more precious over time. And so <clears throat> we have to ask, why, why, don't we, why don't we have this sense of wonder? Why don't we celebrate more often? Why, what, what holds us back? And I think there's just a few things that we can, by point of application, we can think of reasons why we don't celebrate. 
reasons why we forget. Um, the first I would say is fear. We are afraid to celebrate. We are afraid. We fear who God is. We don't recognize how close he has come to us, how tenderly he views us. We have fear about what other people might think if we were to let loose, if we were truly to praise God with the loudest of voices. Even if we were to break into dancing, what would people think? And so we fear, we, we hold back. And in the midst of a, a virus, we're so we, we go into our protective cocoons. We want to preserve our life rather than rejoicing and celebrating in the God who is with us every step of that way. Um, fear is one. Indwelling sin is another. We, we bear the sin in our bodies day after day, and while we have the power to put those things to death, it is a constant struggle. And each step of the way, when we fall, we feel the shame and the guilt and the dishonor we bring to our Lord Jesus Christ. And we tend to focus on our failings rather than focus on Christ's righteousness and his, the victory that he has given us. And so we focus on ourselves rather than that delight and celebrate in what we have. Um, legalism and trying to carefully follow God's law and focusing on what is right and wrong is the other side of that coin where we become so focused on the rules and rather than celebrating the God who has fulfilled the law's demands on our behalf, who has set us free to rejoice in him. And the other one I think is very real for us um, in this culture is a false sense of celebration. Charles read this uh, from <clears throat> Proverbs, but we can over-celebrate focusing on the means of celebration rather than the source of all celebration. So we can become too consumed with drink or feasting or whatever it is that we celebrate with, and we make those means our target. But those things never satisfy because they were never intended to satisfy. They're a means to drive us to the one who has given us a cause for celebration. The things of this world result in hangovers and uh, headaches and guilt and debt. But the Lord Jesus Christ has set us free to celebrate for all eternity. But I think the biggest one, the biggest reason why we fail to celebrate is simply that we, we fail to recognize the great celebrator and all of his benefits. Um, the Lord Jesus Christ has created us to, to have life eternal, abundant, and free. He's created us to come together every week to worship him as a celebration of his love and majesty and might. He's created us to have awe and wonder and reverence before him every day of our life. Um, it's not a wine that, that gets old or stale. It's a wine that gets better and better each and every day. It's a, it's a wine that is a story where the dead become alive and there is reconciliation between God and man where people can grow in grace and get uh, to put to death those sins and walk in righteousness. It is 
It is the best wine for the best celebration that never runs out. It is unfading and glorious. What, like the song says, morning by morning, new mercies I see. This is the hope of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the hope that we've been called to. This is the eternal feast of the Lord Jesus Christ because the Lord Jesus Christ is the feast. It's a feast that was hard fought to earn. It came at a great cost, but it is yours freely in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it ought to cause us to celebrate. As Psalm 68 says, the righteous shall be glad. They shall exult before God. They shall be jubilant with joy. Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exult before him. And so my friends, let us come to him. Let us celebrate. Let us enjoy the Lord of celebration, even our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Oh, gracious God, we do thank you that you have given us so many abundant gifts in your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us to never take them for granted, but help us to rejoice in them every day. Thank you for this opportunity to gather together to be reminded of your love and your compassion and kindness to us. And so we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.